and gentlemen and IoT professionals everywhere, welcome to Real World IoT powered by 151 Advisors. I know we've taken a little bit of break here, but welcome back and happy 2019. We're glad to have you listening once again. Uh, here on Real World IoT, we try to get into the meat of the real issues facing the IoT. We dig into uh, real world case studies. We talk about real issues without the varnish of marketing or hype or PR and really just sort of get into what matters to help you be a more profitable and effective IoT business. So uh, in pursuit of that, I'm very excited uh, to have as my guest today Robert Forget of Aware360. Robert, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to have you. Uh, I know that at Aware360, you guys are dealing with some really interesting things in terms of the IoT and and uh, industrial environments and, and that kind of thing. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and about the home base for, for Aware360 and, and what you guys are working on. For sure. So my name is Robert Forge. I am the CTO at Aware360. So we'll make sure that we don't have too much marketing or sales speak during our conversation today. Um, but what Aware360 does is kind of unique, I think, in the market to a certain extent. We decided to take IoT and leverage the technology in order to provide people safety as opposed to thing information. So to that premise, what we do is we provide devices and technologies in order to make sure people are connected, safe, and aware wherever they happen to be. And with that contextual awareness, we can now react to emergency events in a much more appropriate fashion. That's, I mean, first of all, a beautiful transition into our main topic of discussion. So I appreciate that. Uh, Robert. But it's really an interesting approach because, as as you say, IoT is often thought of as simply a machine technology a or an enablement efficiency technology, a data technology. It's hardly ever thought of as a people technology. But I, I tend to agree that I think it's best used in terms of people. I think it's it's most interesting and powerful societal change uses are related specifically to people. Things like getting energy more efficiently from places where it's easy to generate and cheap to places where it's really needed but hard to generate is something that IoT can work on. Uh, things like healthcare and 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 helping doctors see more patients more remotely. That's an IoT solution that is specific to people. And what you guys are working on, uh, which is human safety, environmental awareness, is an IoT solution. So let's talk about some of the the arenas you've been working in. I mean, for me, my first thought is like, you know, oil rigs, high risk factories, and soldiers are like the three the, areas that I'd first think of. <laughs> that's a really good start and some really good first areas, in fact. Um, <laughs> so as a company, we actually started out uh, protecting government employees, actually. Okay. Um, not not soldiers per se, but emergency responders, um, fire uh, mm-hmm. folks of that nature, enforcement officers, etc. Um, and that's really where we got our start. We started off in the telematics space, oddly enough, okay. uh, doing modems and vehicles and doing all the in-vehicle communications and connectivity. And the government came to us and said, hey, we've got this old two-way radio system that we're using to monitor people. Yeah. And it's just not efficient because <laughs> they're phoning in, they're dialing, or I guess radioing in yeah. anytime any event happens. So it wasn't just for an emergency event or whenever they pulled somebody over on the side of the road. They had to radio in whenever they stopped for a bathroom break, whenever they had their lunch, um, whenever they filled up their gas tank. And this created a lot of two-way conversation. And that monitoring center that was in charge of keeping these people safe 
didn't know what a call was about until after it was made. Mm -hmm. And so if there was an emergency event or somebody who was taking a bathroom break, those two calls look exactly the same until they get the context around it. Right. So what they charged us with was creating an exception-based digitized outcome that was connection agnostic and device agnostic in order for their people in the field to be able to let them know that they're safe, let them know of any kind of an event, but do so in a way that the only things that the monitoring center had to respond to were the ones that were emergencies. So that was kind of the core of how we started doing what we do. That's and quite a challenge because how does one automatically differentiate between a traffic stop and a bathroom break? Like so a, when, a gas stop is easy because you actually go back to the police station for that. But so that could be sort of geofenced. But how, how did you get into that? Because that seems like a really, really challenging thing. So it's it's a combination of devices and software, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, a lot of it is manual from the person who's out in the field, especially okay. if it's an event that looks like another event. So they have the ability of differentiating between the two, either via an app, via a standalone cellular dongle, via a two-way satellite device, mm -hmm. etc. Okay. The other way that we do it is with sensors on the individuals themselves. So going to biometric sensors is something that's happened more recently, where we can alarm based on heart rate and a variety of other biometric uh, markers that are on that person that's out in the field. Um, also, we have sensors in the vehicle. So if you think about an enforcement officer, one of the things that they wanted to have for a sensor was on the gun rack. So there's a gun rack in the vehicle itself. As soon as that gun gets pulled, that creates an emergency event back at the uh, real-time response center. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a variety of different information that can pull into it. Um, and yeah, so we started out with that, but it expanded out to 14 different ministries in the government, everyone from liquor and gaming to social workers to uh, at-home care folks, anybody who was potentially in an at-risk environment, even if they weren't alone per se. So that was a differentiator that we made early on as we started to deploy was we understood that lone workers are definitely a focus. So that whole oil and gas market is a big one for us on the enterprise space. Yep. Um, mining, forestry, you can fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, but it's not just the lone workers who are in potentially dangerous situations. If you have a social worker who's going out to a, uh abuse family to do a house call, right. they don't know what kind of an environment or situation they're going to get into. And that use case actually drove us to create something that looked exactly like a Fitbit so that nobody would know what the device was, but it provided them with a way of unobtrusively calling for help if there was a situation. Unfortunately, you've been sued 17 times by Fitbit now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Similar to, not exactly like. <laughs> uh, anyway, you were saying... <laughs> Yeah, so it's almost like the uh, hidden buttons under the tellers at the bank. A very similar concept, but something that's mobile and traveling with the person. So it, there's a variety of different ways that you can accomplish the same goals and to keep people safe. Um, but a lot of the information, and now we've seen this now with big data analytics and AI, a lot of the data that we're gathering is 
wonderful for safety, and we use it for safety in a real-time fashion, but it can also be used to better uh, or to improve productivity for people who are out in the field as well. So knowing where the workers are, knowing where the slowdown points are in a facility, for example, can allow you to change the workflow for your staff and greatly improve the way that they work on a day-to-day basis, um, cutting out inefficiencies. So, so it's an odd, an odd benefit, I guess, from safety. Whenever you think about it for a second, that all of a sudden now you have the means of increasing productivity, along with the added benefit of keeping everyone safe and healthy. Sure. Um, so, the idea of of personal sensor combined with environmental sensor and that kind of thing is not in and of itself, revolutionary. I mean, I think that that folks are are thinking about how to how to do that kind of thing. Um, how does your, as much as I, I assume you're allowed to tell me, how does your learning engine work? You know, is it well? You know, we had uh, four people get hurt in this area last year. Maybe uh, maybe don't go there anymore. <laughs> how does your how does your algorithm uh, handle uh, adjustments to dangerous situations and sort of uh, nonlinear thinking. It's actually magic. Good. No. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Let me get into a little bit more detail. Uh, it it depends on the product. So we've been talking a lot about emergency response and emergency events, um, but. We have a variety of different solutions that can be used uh, by our clients, each one of them being parallel and additive, I guess, to a safety ecosystem. So the Safety Aware product is our core product, and that's the one that's 100% real-time based, location and contextual around those emergency events. We have two other main product families, one of which provides a driver behavior information for an individual. So I think driver behavior information, is that really safety? Well, it can be. And the algorithms associated to that driver behavior allow us now to predict what's happening on that daily basis as they're doing their drives. We can pull in contextual information around weather, around the other traffic behavior in the area. And based on all of that, we can provide warnings and um I guess, prescribed actions almost to that driver in real time and post-trip so that they can improve their behavior in relation to everything that's happening around them. Because I don't know about you, but me, whenever I'm driving to a place that I drive to every single day, if it's a site out in the field or my office, I can go very much into a zombie mode, the automated driver, right? And you've done it so many times, it's second nature for you. Yeah, for sure. If that happens on a day that the weather's a little bad, the other drivers aren't reacting like they should be, it can be very dangerous very quickly. And that's one of the leading causes of uh, employee injury is driving. You know, it's funny. Point A to point B. There's a great. uh, Are you familiar with the Rift Tracks uh, guys? They are the guys who used to do the Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, oh yes, so, right. So now they've handed off MST3K uh, to a really brilliant group, uh, including Jonah Ray. Uh, sorry, this is a plug for people who don't need my plug. 
uh, and now they do now they do something called riff tracks, which is basically the same thing except uh, they do more modern movies and they do them live uh, often with an audience. And one of the things that they do is before each main movie they do, they often do like a short. And one of the shorts they did that I saw recently at a live show was uh, a workplace safety video from the, must have been the late 70s, early 80s. And it's brutal. And it's funny because, <laughs> even, I mean, it's it's super graphic and like the old driver's ed video style thing. Like one guy gets his leg crushed in a machine and blah, blah, blah. Because he, 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 yeah. he stopped to light a cigarette, so it tells you about how old it is, uh, while his leg was <laughs> inside the crushing machine uh, because he was repairing it. But, you know, got to take that smoke break. <laughs> so, but but I bring this up because one of the things that they're warning about is that exact phenomenon of sort of, well, Dave does this every day and he knows exactly how this machine works, but today he doesn't realize that the new guy, Jimmy, is standing right in front of him. <laughs> that kind of thing. So I assume yeah. that uh, that unlike in the early 80s when new guy Jimmy gets crushed horribly, uh, if, they're, if they're using a system like yours, the machine sort of uh, stops itself. You have the ability of controlling the machine for sure, um, but we'd rather not have new guy Jimmy crush himself but it's oftentimes old guy George who crushes himself too mm -hmm. uh, because of other items or events that are happening as opposed to the machine or just him. Yeah. And we have another product that actually deals with that. <laughs> <laughs> so that one is actually based on um, they're from some algorithms that some neurologists developed. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a mini mental. Are you familiar with a mini mental? I'm not. I'm not. Okay. So a mini mental is a oral exam or test that's provided by a psychologist or a nurse potentially to an elder care patient. And what it does is it can detect uh, signs of dementia or Alzheimer's in a patient. Oh, interesting. Okay? So it, that's been around for quite a long time and it's very widely used and yep. by society. What these folks did, the neurologists in question that we've adapted their algorithms, is they created a similar test to detect cognitive impairment. Okay. And it takes about a minute to do. It's app-based, and it's 100% visual. So the way that it works is it baselines the individual over a period of time so that they can see the reaction time and memory. So it's testing reaction time and memory. Interesting. And based on that information... Once the baseline's complete, any kind of deviations from baseline cause a flag to go up because there's some form of cognitive impairment that's going on. So think of it as something that you can use prior to a shift so that new guy Jimmy or old guy George knows that they're focused on the task at hand and can successfully complete their work with as little risk as possible. How granular now, is that? Because I, I, I mean, I assume it's going to be able to tell if somebody was chemically impaired just by virtue of the the change in mm -hmm. obvious changes in behavior but leaving that aside you know somebody's kid was a jerk that morning on the way to school and they're like ah oh, god i wish i hadn't shouted him that much you know how how granular is is 
something like that going to be? Is it going to be able to tell that you know, a little bit distracted because thinking about this thing that happened at home versus uh, stayed up all night playing Call of Duty, let's say, and is yep. just exhausted? <laughs> Not no, that I've ever it. done that. <laughs> that is a very, very good point. And yes, it will pick up both. Okay. So from a stress perspective, it depends on how much of the person internalizes stress. So one person, if they were screaming at their child in the morning, may have a peak in their test results that mm-hmm. causes an alarm to go off. But another person may scream at their kid every other day, and it doesn't really affect them too much. So, uh, do we have a test for it, that person? We'd like them to not be working <laughs> with heavy machinery either. <laughs> That's a completely different kind of test, and we have yet to develop it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, so fatigue, stress, and of course, chemical impairment, all of which will be picked up um, by that test. That's, that's so really interesting. It, it's a great tool for people to reduce risk, especially in high-risk environments, manufacturing-type uh, occupations, anybody in the driving space. Driving, yeah. again, the highest cause of injury. Sure. And there's no reason for it. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's really fascinating. I I, I sort of have a uh, an amateur interest in neurology and and the the things that can cause you to be impaired you know i think probably by now everybody realizes that if you're uh more than if you get less than four hours sleep it's equivalent to being four drinks in or something you know just sort of mm-hmm. vague, you know that kind of thing you know yeah, fatigue has a great big effect on people sure and and there's a lot more than just fatigue that can have those effects on on neurology and it's it's uh really sort of interesting to think about how uh a good algorithmic data set can uh can help alert people to that if not take action around it. Although I don't, I don't know uh, how say somebody does spike on this test. What is the, what is the follow-up? What's the next step in that? Do they like Uh, report to their, report to their manager and go, I don't know why, but for some reason I shouldn't be driving. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the people in the process and what the position is or job that that person needs to do. So we've seen people who've deployed this type of technology uh, in their companies, and the way that they typically do it is, well, A, you don't take the results from one test as the king of all, right. and so typically the first step is to wait a period of time, take a break, have a coffee, whatever, and retake the test. Okay. So if, you, if that employee fails twice, mind you, then yes, a uh, supervisor is usually notified, to have a conversation with that employee, see what's up, see if there's any issues, um, at which point they can either it was just a moment in time issue mm-hmm. and they've got themselves back together again, or what they've been doing is not punishing employees, right. but finding them different work to do. So if it's new Jimmy who's working on the crushing machine today and he ends up being fatigued or stressed, the supervisor would oftentimes send him to work on a non-crushing machine for the day (laughs) (laughs) or do something with less risk associated to it. And and you think about it like air traffic controllers are a great example. Those guys need to be on the ball all the time. That's one of the toughest jobs out there. So in that case, any kind of a spike or issue with fatigue, stress, anything should cause 
a stop <laughs> for that right. person doing their work, right? Right, yeah. Um, similarly, somebody driving one of those 8 million ton mining trucks <laughs> could be in a, this, a similar situation. That thing drives over a, a half ton truck and doesn't even notice that it was there. Yeah. So big, dangerous, risky environments. Meanwhile, if I'm an office worker and I'm doing emails today, not as big a deal. Right, right. I can probably uh I can probably get through that regardless of how tired I am. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I won't injure or harm myself or anyone else. <laughs> right, right. I again only know about that through conjecture. I've never been overtired sitting at my desk <laughs> doing a podcast. Um so <laughs> Um so God, there's there's a lot of ground to cover here because I'm really interested in this idea of safety and and where some of the implications are. What is you know looking at workplace safety is actually a huge thing by itself. Talking about years of of development moving into different industries and different conditions because I assume the the tests and the the systems need to be to some degree tweaked and customized by industry mm-hmm. and by environment you know most definitely uh, and the uh, devices and sensors that are applicable to that uh, sure. user persona as well a police officer and a, a warehouse you know a uh, forklift driver need very different things to keep them safe usually indeed um but there's a lot of places where people are you know, they get hurt in their day-to-day lives. You know, driving a car is fairly dangerous, no matter whether or not you're doing it for work. Um, you know, the leaving your, you know, leaving your house or climbing on your roof to clean the gutters and stuff like that are places where we could keep people safe somehow. And and I'm curious about whether or not you think about sort of non-enterprise commercial applications here or if that's part of the plan yet or or where we're at for the next phase of this <laughs> ah that's a really good question so we have not done a direct to consumer model mm-hmm. in the past uh it's something that is a curious a, a curious outcome potentially for us in the long term um but i do have an example of this so one of our clients said, hey, we've got the system in place to keep the employees safe. Let's make it available to them after hours as well. So what they did is they said, hey, guys, you have the safety system. Use it. Use it whenever you're at home. Use it whenever you're out at the mall. Use it whenever you're on a trip. And there was a story actually about this event um, came from the CBC after the fact, but one of their employees was driving their from the prairies and they were driving through the mountains and they ended up actually in a landslide on the mountain and they were knocked off of the road down into a gully um, completely couldn't be seen by the road from where they were and they had their devices with them and the employee was able to get help sent to them and be rescued from that landslide which could have been a potentially very very bad event for them and that was uh, actually Kootenay Mountain Pass in BC. Beautiful area if you ever drive up there, but uh, can be dangerous depending on the time of year. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so that was a really good news story for us. We were really, really happy to hear that yeah, our really clients cool. had been thinking that way and trying to provide that safety as almost a benefit to the employees as opposed to something that they had to do because they were at work. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is an interesting uh I like that that perspective on it. You know, rather this is an additional benefit. You know, you, you get this along with your, you know, uh, your healthcare and your your vacation time, is also uh, an ability to uh, to have this quote unquote insurance type policy. <laughs> well, yeah, and. The employee is liable for their employees while they're at work or during working hours, right? There's that duty of care there. But all companies say, hey, employees are our greatest resource. We need to make sure our employees are happy, healthy, safe, etc. Extending that to outside of work hours is just a natural extension because, hey, if something happens to my employee not during work hours, yeah, great, I'm not liable for it. But, hey, I don't have that employee anymore. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a huge loss for a company. Yeah, yeah. Employees are expensive <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of search and 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 that kind of thing. You think? You know, I would like to customer. say they're valuable as opposed to expensive, but sure, <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> as an employee, I I think we're expensive. <laughs> um. <laughs> um And then I guess one other thing to mention around that topic before we move on is we've actually started through or with some partners a new initiative called Safer Communities. And that Safer Communities initiative is a not-for-profit arm, so leveraging the technology and some of what we've done for enterprise and government to order in order to help at-risk people, so folks who have suffered uh, domestic violence, um, hitchhikers, folks who are potentially walking alone at night in dangerous areas. Mm-hmm. So that initiative now has been launched, and it's a great one. It's yeah. wonderful and making some interesting strides in a variety of different at-risk individuals who may not have jobs, Per se, right, but are in definitely high risk environments on a day to day basis. So, yeah. yeah, the the implications on on this kind of thing are really really broad. Um, in terms of in terms of just leaving aside the immediate importance of protecting an individual who may uh, avoid injury and or death as a result of a system like this. Leaving that aside and going to the sort of macro of it, the more that these events are avoided or detected and learned about, the more we're going to know about them and the less likely we're going to miss them next time. So like it's it's one of those uh, exponential returns types of things that are pretty rare in that the more we know, the less likely it is that we're going to see future incidents. Yes, you are very much correct. Having that data and the more data that we get, the more people that are using it, it provides the ability now to run it through machine learning and get a better understanding of what's causing those events in the first place. So this is something that we've seen very much used in industrial IoT, where they're using it for uh, preventative maintenance on equipment that's out in the field. Once they have the RPMs and the pressures and the temperature sensors all running, 
they can tell over time, oh, okay, so the failure happened after this leading information occurred. And now next time we can prevent that failure, do the maintenance ahead of time because we know what the uh, indicators are prior to. It works in the same way for some emergency events. So anything that could be considered a repetitive uh, risk. So think uh, repetitive strain injuries, for example, that's something that we can prevent. Mm -hmm. Um, Driver behavior is another one that has predictive indicators that allow us to get to that as well. Um, A lot of passive type devices, and I say passive meaning that the person doesn't interact with the sensor or the unit that's out in the field. So think of an elder care facility for a second, because there's a good example of that, is there is a mattress cover, which is a matrix of sensors on it. And it works just like a fitted sheet. You put it on the mattress and you forget about it. Right. Um, that elder care patient, whenever they're on their bed, uh, sleeping or resting or whatever, all those sensors are pressure sensors. And that allows us to see where the pressure is on the body. It allows us to predict prior to pressure sores occurring in order to prevent that from happening. Um, it also picks up the heart rate and the breathing of that resident as well. So any kind of a spike or an issue there can automatically cause an alarm without any kind of intervention or the person having to press the call button. Yeah. So things things of that nature are coming more and more frequently out into the market and it's great. The devices and the hardware are wonderful, especially what's out there. Like look at what Apple Watch is doing on the biometric side. They're doing some interesting things to try to predict um, heart attacks and strokes and things of that nature. All of these devices are, to a certain extent, vertically locked. So I've got a great idea for a device to protect against high current areas, for example. And I now put it on my software with my monitoring and my reporting, and it's it. That's all you get. Yeah. We took it the other way. We want it to be 100% device agnostic. We want to be able to take the data from that device. We want to be able to take the data from that mattress cover from the fire detector, from the gas detector, everything that's out in the field that can provide a better picture for that user Mm -hmm. and a better digital twin of the person so that we have better understanding on how to react and what to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will be very interested to to find out how much people are offering to buy that data set for in 10 years. Because it'll be really interesting <laughs> and and uh, very likely extremely lucrative as everybody's trying to learn about uh, uh, exactly uh, which things really are dangerous and which aren't. Not to mention knowing a lot more about how much sex happens in uh, elderly care facilities. So Again, another thing that we're not tracking. <laughs> yeah, women, and yet we should be. Um, <laughs> uh, so, as we get near the end of time here, uh, Robert, where can folks find out more about uh, about you guys and, and what you're working on? Uh, it's very easy to find us on the web. So, our website's aware360.com. Um, check it out. Feel free to reach out. We're always happy to chat with people about new, interesting use cases and new, interesting risks and how we might be able to help. Um, and uh, I encourage everybody to check that out and, and to reach out with uh, with all the questions that I didn't get a chance to ask Robert. Uh, uh, send uh, send out an email, uh, you know, and and 
let's keep this conversation going out on the uh, worldwide interwebs. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Ken, and look forward to talking again soon. For sure. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Folks out there listening, I have been your host, Ken Briota, here on Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Thank you all for listening. Once again, everyone out there, have a great day. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Make sure you go online to check out more content on how you can monetize the connected world at 151advisors.com. That's 151advisors.com for all the information and content like this podcast that will help you power your business and monetize your business into the next phase of the IoT. Thank you again for listening to Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. I am your host, Ken Briota, signing off. See you next time. 